We're live. Welcome in, everybody. It's Monday, right? I think uh, it is. Two, okay, good. <laughs> uh, two o'clock central. Uh, I'm joined by Matt Smith, friend of the channel, friend of mine, one of the uh, best voices in the Tesla community, even though I literally crap on him on Twitter every day because he deserves it. He deserves it. So welcome in, Matt. Pleasure to have uh, you. Thanks. Uh, glad to be here. I think I was up with my kids at four in the morning trying to get them back to sleep and I was still finding time to crap on you at the same time. So <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it, it goes, it goes both ways for sure. You're committed. You know, I'll tell you, you have it a lot harder than I do. I just, uh, I'm not distracted by children. I can just go on Twitter anytime and just troll you for the rest of, you know, my day while you have to make time. So I'm actually honored that you would prioritize me over your kids. So thank you so much for doing yeah. that, Matt. Yeah, you got to question my life choices when I'm taking time <laughs> away from my kids to just shit on you. That's yeah, <laughs> I love it. Thank you. It's true love. It's true love. Welcome in, everybody. Make sure you can uh, hear us and see us okay. Uh, for those on Twitter spaces, we're also on YouTube uh, live as well. And it will also, this is also live stream on Twitter as well. I'm just, we're just flooding the internet with content right now. And because I don't know what I'm doing. So we got Twitter spaces going. There should also be a live feed on, on my Twitter page. That should be live. We're also on YouTube and you can find those just going through my profile. We'll have a Q&A section at the end of this discussion on YouTube. It's really hard to get Twitter and YouTube to play together right now and have a, have a good experience for all platforms. So if you do have any questions, I do encourage you to go to YouTube, drop a few comments in there, uh, uh, which we'll cover at the end, and then listen on Spaces as well. So just giving you a heads up in case you do want that option. Um, cool. So Matt, Investor Day has come and gone. We'll definitely hit that a lot on this call because you know I definitely want to pick your brain on a few things. We've had a few days to digest it. Uh, we're also going to talk about the price decreases that have been announced uh, today for Model S and X in the U.S. Uh, and there's also news around Hardware 4 that I want to kind of kick us off with because it seems like a lot of that's starting to come to, to the top of, I call it the news or the sphere. And I'll have a producer wife, my lovely wife, Cindy, if you want to start pulling up some of those tweets I put in the uh, private chat for us to view, um, hardware four. I don't know how much how much you've seen those uh, news around that coming out. Uh, we're just showing a, a tweet on the screen here. Looks like a bunch of hardware four car Model Xs just hit inventory according to EVCPO, which is an aggregator of, of all used uh, and, and new Teslas across the entire sort of. Uh, world i guess and it's 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 subgrouped by location and if you scroll down a little bit on that picture I, uh, yeah so it looks like we have markings for hardware for for uh the model snx in inventory uh which is pretty cool and then if you come up bring up the other tweets as well uh producer wife from sawyer uh, and actually not a Tesla app. Make sure you go follow him as well. Follow them. The Tesla Model X vehicles are now being delivered with hardware four. So this is from this morning at uh, 10 a.m. Central. It's a, we're highlighting a picture of the new camera module on the front that has uh, different looking cameras than what we're usually used to from FSD. And after calibration, it seems like there's still no visual visualizations. We're still actively working on confirming a lot of these things coming through, but we have a lot of different data points that point to this being the case. Uh, so, Matt, any reactions, any thoughts around this rollout? What's your what's your head going? Yeah, I, I, I'm so confused by it. I, I mean, you know, it seemed like it was one one of the the topics that would have been up for conversation at Investor Day, and you know, it just wasn't. 
Um, so I, I was surprised by that at the time. And then now to kind of get this super low-key rollout of hardware four, which I think that tweet said that autopilot doesn't even work with it. So I, I'm assuming that that's, you know, something that will come really quickly. Maybe you just need, a, I don't know, a decent sized fleet to get some of the data and, you know, back check it. But um, it, it, to me, it just seems weird that the, the communication has been so like um, indirect about this. I mean, w- with the original AI day, they were talking about introducing hardware for, I think in like two years or at least the new FSD chip. Um, I think we're closer to three years at this point, maybe even closer to four. Um, so just, you know, it seems so strange that they had like this big to do about all the different, um, you know, technology. And and then when hardware four comes around, there's, you know, really not a whole lot, especially given there's been so much speculation, uh, you know, by Chuck Cook and, and others of like, will the, will the hardware like locations change? Do we need to move from the V pillar cameras up to, to like the headlights to, to get more data? Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm very surprised that Tesla didn't take the opportunity to, to kind of, uh, discuss that in more detail at Investor Day. Okay. Do you, do you think they're trying to protect cannibalization as much as humanly possible or trying to uh, sort of not have to drastically reduce prices by getting in front of it? Like, do you think they're just starting to practice some of those methods? How do you think about that? I, I think so. I mean, I mean, that was, I think, a, a real takeaway from, uh, you know, Investor Day overall. They didn't unveil, um, you know, the next gen vehicle, the Gen 3, you know, platform. Um, they just said, it's going to be awesome and we'll save a bunch of money. But, um, (laughs) you know, I think the, uh, uh, several people, I think rightly commented that, you know, if they said, here's our new $25,000 car and it's going to launch next year, like that'll very obviously cannibalize some sales in the meantime. So, um, I I think Tesla's being pretty intentional about not wanting to Osborne their, their current product lineup. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think with, with autopilot though, or, or with hardware four, it's, it seemed like that would be less of an issue um, unless it's just like drastically better and they've got some, you know, crazy FSD update up their sleeves with hardware four and they're just waiting until they sell all their hardware three vehicles and then they'll like activate it. That seems very unlikely to me, but that's the only way I could see it, you know, really being a, a very intentional strategy. Okay. Uh, and then maybe we'll have another producer wife. You can sort of look into this. We're trying. I was trying to see if there were different cameras involved in this upgrade positioning of the cameras, and I wasn't able to find anything alluding to that. It looks like the the new computer is essentially confirmed. Uh, you just have yet yeah, those front facing cameras. I'm wondering if maybe there is pictures or something you can find where the positioning of the cameras might be different. I know there was like a picture of a headlight back in the day that was not deemed to be accurate or something that had a camera on the headlights. So maybe I don't know if that's still the case or not, or anybody in the comments uh, or on the uh, Twitter space that you're listening in, if you want to reply to this space with any additional information, that would be good. But it's, it's interesting tracking this story because the, the, a lot of the conversations around hardware for have been tied from my, from my experience to, okay, so is which one's RoboTaxi? Hardware three, hardware four, or both? Right, and that's that's becoming yeah. a a big debate, and it, we didn't get any sort of guidance or resolution for that in on Investor Day. It's it's uh, really wasn't really hit. I mean, I think Ashok came out and spoke FSD for a little while, but it was mostly from my from my what I thought was rehashed sort of information that we already knew about. So we're getting very little guidance into it, which part of me says, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this. This is just speculation. And this this might be, uh, this is a, a hypothesis that I have based on previous sort of things that I've seen with Tesla. When they start getting mum and kind of quiet about something, 
it's because they're there because they're actually making something happen. What do you think about that theory? Am I being too stupid? <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. yeah true, to, true to form, <laughs> you're being too stupid, Parson. Yes. <laughs> no, no. So, so I, I definitely don't think they're there. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, when, when did that drop? What is that video from that we're showing here on screen? Let's see. Three days ago. Okay. This is from the futurist. Uh, okay. But it looks like it's the same positioning. Yeah, it does look like this, the same, same positioning. Okay. okay. Yeah, I, I there was a, a decent amount of speculation uh, from some of the, the Green the Oldies tweets too that um, based on the labels of the ports at the piece of hardware that he got, that mm. the uh, the cameras were going to be moving forward. Seems like that's not the case from everything I've seen on these these cars right now, though. Mm. Uh, you know, I think if, if the actual physical location had changed, that would be a much bigger deal. So I think that's um, I'm a little surprised to be honest with you. I did think they'd, they'd move the location of the cameras. Uh, so the fact that they didn't, I, I think, is a good sign that they're at least confident uh, that they've got the right approach. Yeah. Um, but but to your your question on, you know, do I? Th they've clearly gone mum on this. So do I think they're there? Um, I don't. Um, you, he, Elon was saying a month ago that they were going to ship um, version eleven point three. You know, like a week later or something like that. And he was saying the same thing in February of last year. Um, so we're, we're so far behind on, you know, version 11, which is a, it's like a big, um, update. So I don't, you know, um, I'm, I'm not holding it against them that, you know, it's taking a long time to get this right. Cause once they get version 11, right, then it's just going to be iterating on that same kind of, um, software stack. And I think the updates are going to come pretty fast and furious after that. Um, but it, you know, do I think that they know that version 11 is like, you know, robo taxi ready and, you know, it's just a matter of you know, months or maybe a year to, to get to RoboTaxi. I think, I think that's too, too optimistic. Um, and even Zach's language um, at the, at investor day was a bit softened from what we've heard before. You know, he was essentially saying, if we solve autonomy, then, you know, the margin potential drastically alters even beyond the, the good levels that we're showing here with what we can do on, on the hardware cost cutting side. So they really have, have not been talking about RoboTaxis at all lately. And um, I hope you're right that it's because they've, you know, they've solved it, but I'm just not seeing a lot of evidence that, that that's the case. Yeah, it's it's been interesting watching them. You know, I don't want to say that they've lost credibility on the FSD stuff because I know it's it's extremely difficult. It's just the timelines have been pushed out so often and 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 so many times and and with uh, such varying degrees of uh, of length. And now you have the whole NHTSA thing coming on too, where they ask for a recall. And I believe I was I was reading some things where they're they're saying that they're going to Tesla will not be allowed to add anybody else to the fleet on, until they have this sort of like fixing the car from driving like a person does on a daily basis uh, thing that NHTSA called for you know yeah. like hey don't do the things people do okay cool we'll try <laughs> which was fascinating which, verbiage which cracks me up because they were the ones that said yo you can't do the rolling stops anymore you've got to come to a full and complete stop and then like yeah. hey you're taking too long at these intersections what's that all about like, yeah yeah it's so weird. i don't know i don't know it's like how, how do you how do you keep someone like that happy <laughs> yeah i think the, the nice thing about it though is that they didn't outright call it you know say hey pull the software they just said hey by april get it figured out and then release an update. And until then, you can't widen the fleet. Sorry, my dogs are going uh, barking in the background. Apologies, y'all. Uh, but it's it's been very interesting tracking that. However, again, like part of me says, again, this is sort of my optimistic side. It's it's um, perhaps 
it's either going to be, hey, we're, we're confident we're there. We're just going to let it play out. Let's just put our heads down and make it happen. Or it's maybe, maybe it's, hey, I'm just going to stop freaking talking about it. Because every time I open my mouth and I'm optimistic about it, this is Elon, I, it just doesn't come to fruition. And it's, yeah. it's to the point now, and I don't know if you're gauging, if you're feeling this way too, is like even the, the ones that are most bullish about Tesla, which again, we're not saying this is, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that full self-driving is not going to come to fruition. I truly do believe it's going to come to fruition, but it's much longer than we all anticipated, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm not even thinking about full self-driving anymore. If it happens, it happens. When it happens, it happens. I've moved on. Is that the sense you have? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, what's the upside of Elon saying, oh my gosh, like version 11 is mind blowing and we're so close to robo taxis. Like we've heard that yeah. before. And like, you know, the, the people who are true believers are going to be like, yeah, like absolutely. I believe it. Um, and then like the Tesla Qs are going to be like, oh, there's Elon pumping the stock again. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, like nothing really matters that you're not going to change anybody's mind until like people experience the software and be like, Oh, like this one actually is really, really good. And it's yeah. drastically improving my, my driving experience. And I see the path where this can get better over the next couple months, years to get to the point where I could take my eyes and hands off the road and still feel safe and comfortable. So like, we're, we're just a long way from that right now. And so I, th I think th there's really no point in Elon, you know, pumping it up anymore saying like how great it is because he's, He's made that pitch and it hasn't gone, I think, the way that he was hoping in terms of the development timeline. So I think it's just a, you know, keep the mouth shut, the head down and, and just deliver the product now. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what's going to happen, right? Come June, July, when they actually do have version 11 and all of us have it, we're all going to be driving and we're going to be like, oh, my God, it's almost there. <laughs> and then the excitement's going to sure. come back. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, You know, I mean, it, it was like it's very easy at this point in early 2023 when you know we were thinking about this in 2017 2018 be like yeah we'll probably have robo taxis by 2023 to say like oh my gosh like they've missed so many targets and like this is so bad and like it's very easy to point out all the things that they've got wrong um but like my car still drives itself like around like this is it, it's so much more capable than any of the competitors and they're doing it with the lowest cost hardware suite possible They've got this ridiculous data advantage and just this approach that makes all sorts of sense from a business perspective. And yeah, it, maybe it's five years from now. I hope not, but maybe it's, you know, 2028, they finally like crack it and, you know, the, the thing can actually you know, like drive itself and you can take your hands off the road. Um, and then we'll be like, oh my gosh, like Tesla was so smart. And then the margins will go up and then, you know, the whole business will take off. It doesn't really matter whether it's a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. Um, they're going to get it figured out. They really just have the most amazing, you know, team and, and like strategy, frankly. Um, it, it's just surprising to me how many people still think that their strategy sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. It's, I agree with you hundred percent that, that what I'm always reminded of is, and this is something I experienced in my career is, is I think there is too much weight on nailing timelines. And as soon as you don't hit a timeline, you get punished by being called a, a liar, a fraud. You're, you know, you're, 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 uh, you're not, you're not good at what you're doing. You should have been on time. And the people that get most punished by that are the most ambitious. And the most ambitious are the ones that typically make the hundred to a thousand X value, uh, uh, increases to society. So it's like this yeah. human nature of punishing people for being late 
uh, it almost seems like, or, or you know, from there are there's always a subset of humanity that's very local when somebody's not on time, but regarding anything, or if they're failed in meeting expectations. And the bigger the dream, the more people you're gonna have pooping on you, right? Shitting, yeah. shitting on you. So it's it's a, uh, I don't know. It, that's what I get reminded of with this full self driving thing. And I couldn't agree more with your point that at some point, at some point, when this thing comes to fruition, it's not impossible. We we, we see how it's going to get there. Uh, it's just going to be transformational and it's going to be incredible. It's going to be really fun yeah. to watch. Yeah, I, I really can't wait. But in your your timeline thing is interesting because I've, I've also been on the other side of that where, you know, I, I've been in a low performing organization and they say, okay, we've got six months to do something. And I'm like, we could, we could like knock this out yeah. in three weeks or, or a month. But because you've got this timeline, it's like, all right, well, let's like plan meetings and like, like we'll make steady progress. And I'm just like, I, I've got more bandwidth. I could do more. And, but, uh, you just manage that timeline and, and just waste resources that way. So yeah, I agree with you. I think more focus should be on the objective and less on the timeline. Yeah. So let me, let me shift gears to this uh, price decrease that, that we saw for the model SNX producer wife, uh, please bring up the tweet from, uh, our lovely friend, Sawyer Merritt, uh, goat of Twitter. Tesla Twitter. He has just hit 400,000 followers, by the way. Congratulations, Sawyer. Oh, those are some big numbers, bro. That is crazy. Yeah. He's out there just getting that clout. No problem. It's because he brings value. That's why. Sawyer, shout out, my friend. Uh, for those that are not uh, what, looking at the screen breaking, Tesla has reduced the starting prices of the Model S and X in the US. This was announced, I think, this morning. Scroll down a little bit, babe, so I can see the, the timestamp down there. Uh, March 5th, last night, so 9 o'clock in the evening, p.m. Central. Model S all-wheel drive has gone down about 5000 bucks from 95 to 90 Model S Plaid from 115 to 110 Model X all-wheel drive from 110 to 100 And Model X Plaid from 120 to 110 What's interesting here is that the Model S Plaid and the Model X Plaid are now both the same exact price at a very low price of $110,000. Matt, what do you think of... Uh, and of course, I'm I'm joking. <laughs> what do you think of these price decreases here? What's yeah, I mean, I, I was ex expecting them. Um, you know, they, they, those prices were remaining higher for for longer. So, what uh, in inventories were kind of building up. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, I I kind of think this is not a big deal. Like I've seen a lot of the, the Tesla Q community saying like, oh, they're gonna have to cut prices further. Like they, they sell a hundred thousand of these a year if everything's going well. So if you average out, say it's 5,000 per car, it's probably slightly higher than that. Uh, but you're talking about, you know, five, $600,000 or $600 million impact, assuming the cost of goods sold is, is unchanged. So like, yeah, that's, that's not nothing, but you know, uh, model Y price changes and, and model three price changes are going to have a lot bigger impact on Tesla's financials than whatever happens with S and X. So, um, I mean, it was like Elon even commented a couple of years ago. It, like they probably don't even need to make the Model X anymore because it's just not, you know, that important of a vehicle for the overall mission. Um, but they still keep it. And, you know, I think they're sweet cars and, you know, but it's just at the kind of quantities that we're talking about, it doesn't move the needle too much. It's my kind of view. I don't know. What, what's, yeah. what's your thoughts? Yeah. So I'm actually going to have. Uh, yeah. So producer wife just brung, brung, brought up a chart here on YouTube. So uh, what's that? Starting around the middle of February, like Valentine's Day. Tesla has uh, the Model S and X inventories have been coming down quite a bit since that point. And they just announced. So, for example, S and X inventories in the US were around 1,200 units total. 
and then yeah that peak, can you hover over that peak over there the, the biggest peak up there like the point all the way up there yeah so 1200 on literally valentine's day and so people since valentine's day have been buying model s and x a, a lot so you've seen sort of an uh inventory has roughly call it i don't know halved ish uh, up to today and then they announced the price decrease on top of that by about five thousand bucks so five five to ten percent depending on the car ish so mm -hmm. they did a price decrease while inventory is reducing so for me it doesn't seem like it's a it's a demand stoking mechanism to me it seems like it's either a inventory clearance they're trying to remove inventories to make room for these hardware four cars or they increase yeah. production, you know, to, to to marry up the new production rate to the to the call it the lower price. Um, and then the demand question I want to talk to you about too, because it's like I feel like the the framing is a little bit off from from call it the bear side. Um, what do you think of this hypothesis? Do you think that makes sense? Yeah, I, I think inventory clearing, especially if we've got you know that to me that kind of supports the you know, bull case of hardware four, right? That, you know, like Tesla's trying to be really mum about the capabilities of hardware four until they, uh, you know, clear all this old inventory out. Um, but then what, do you think they would like, increase their price again? You know, if, if demand is actually um, sufficient to maintain, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the prior levels uh, of sales, do you think they would increase prices again after they clear out all that old in inventory? I think so, right? I mean, if 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 their production rate doesn't marry up with that new, with whatever that hardware four suite brings to the table, and they're not able to increase that, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they increase their price if they can't? Uh, you know, like it's just going to be a backlog filling yeah. mechanism again. So, how do you think that's correct? How do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, the the inventory data is not as good as the data that Tesla has on the order rates. So as an investor, I wish that I had access to like Tesla's actual order book and you say, okay, like what's the daily order rate, weekly order rate for Model S and X and 3 and Y? Because then you, it'd be very clear to see like how, how they're like allocating demand and we wouldn't be so worried about, you know, how many, you know, uh, CPUC, uh, or not, that's, that's my energy background, the California Public Utilities Commission, <laughs> the CPCA, uh, like weekly registration numbers are coming in. Uh, you're like, we're kind of trying to guess at a lot of these. Stuff. Are you going to say CCP? <laughs> the CCP. The CCP. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Go ahead. Um, we're, we're trying to, to kind of guess at a lot of the demand trends with, with backward looking data based on like, you know, relative rises and, and, you know, like falling of, of inventory levels as well, like export ships and that sort of thing. Um, but Tesla's got the much better data. So, um, yeah, I, I, I suspect my, my view is it's more likely than not that their current order rate for SNX, uh, is not high enough to kind of sustain the demand. So maybe they are trying to clear out the, the hardware three stuff a little bit, but I also think that they've tried to price it so that they can kind of match supply and demand with the current order rate and their current mm -hmm. rate of production. Gotcha. Okay. That's fair. And we have a comment here from, um, NetMalk as a question sort of, uh, talking about this whole thing. What do you make of the 650 and 100 listings of SNX respectively that just popped into new inventory a few hours ago, uh, liquidating hardware three cars? Yeah, I mean, those those new cars could be the hardware four. It's We're going to have to track this over time for the next few days to really get a good idea, I think. Um, what do you think, Matt? Do you think that's that's fair based on what we just said? Yeah, so yeah, I wasn't aware of that. But you know, putting a couple of these different tidbits together, it does 
seem like there's at least some sort of concerted effort to clear out some hardware three vehicles. So yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting breaking story as of today, but um, it definitely seems to be a couple different pieces of corroborating evidence there. Yeah. And as everybody in the comments section, if you all see any new information, definitely uh, drive it our way so we can take a look at it. Um, the, the demand question is, is an interesting one that keeps coming up for some reason. It's ever since Tesla sort of has begun lowering their prices, there is a lot of, um, at, at least from the bear side, it's been, hey, Tesla has obviously has the demand issue. This is going to dramatically eat into their margins. What they're guiding from a uh, earnings per share perspective and gross margins in the future is clearly not going to be achievable now. Forget it if you're talking about 20 million cars in the future because they're already showing weakness in demand and they have to lower price. How are you absorbing all this? Uh, how you're absorbing all this information from your side? Yeah, so I, I think it's it's a little um, confusing to be honest with you. Um, it, it was pretty clear, like in December, for example, that there was a demand issue, so they needed to do price cuts. Um, I think I think the bulls and the bears would have agreed with that point. And then, of course, they they did do these price cuts. So so the question that remains is, you know, were those cuts sufficient to move all of the of the supply that they're capable of producing? Uh, most of the bears, or sorry, most of the bulls definitely seem to think that yes, like it's no problem, like demand is infinite, you know, like yada yada yada. A lot of the talking points from the investor day, um, you know, conversation, honestly. Um, but what I don't like is that there, there's um, several pieces of, of information that kind of seems to suggest that, you know, there there is you know, some demand issues. Uh, I'm not 100% sold that that is the case. But if you look at the weekly registration data's the data out of China, it's like half the rate that it was in, you know, Q3 and Q4. Um, so that seems to be like a real problem. And so then they're kind of solving for that by exporting to Europe. Uh, well, now like Europe's kind of caught in this situation where they've got rising inventory levels, which is what you would expect if, if that's how you're solving that problem. So then you're probably going to assume that you have to do a price cut in, in Europe eventually. Um, US, I'm, I'm less concerned about. But um, to me, it's like we're still relative. I mean, we're only, you know, two and a half months, not even into the, the kind of new pricing regime. regime. Uh, and we haven't had time yet to see like how the in huge increase in you know supply in Europe is is going to be impacted. Plus, on top of that, Berlin is ramping. So I think that there's there's still uh, credible reasons to be skeptical of the of the of you know demand right now. Um, interest rates are a real issue. Elon's been talking about that as a potential headwind this year, and you know cost, constantly telling people don't buy in margin. Um, so I you know, like to me Damn this it. is not a like. This to, this is this is why their plan that they talked about was so important because in the long term they're going to solve this stuff by like eliminating costs and like creating the most compelling vehicles for the cheapest price. But right now for 2023, I think there's there's real you know concerns or questions. Do you uh, think this is? It? Yeah, that's that's it's it's very interesting because during the investor day, Tom when when Tom Zhu was uh, did I pronounce that yeah. right? Oh my god, I think I nailed it. But uh, when when he uh, he brought up the whole <laughs> when he brought up <laughs> don't even get me started I don't want to show you up okay so the uh, that's very impressive by the way the <laughs> comment he made when he was asked about Chinese demand what I heard I think what he said was the their demand outstrips supply in China like he said demand is is great ever yeah. since we made the price decreases so 
is there a lag? Like, are we are we missing sales? Like, what's what's That's, going on? Yeah, like that was the most confusing comment out of the whole thing to me. Um, like, I've got to believe he's got better data than I do. So, um, w- what I would think is happening is that yeah, like they're they're just trying to um, like their order rate is essentially high enough to support all of the the production out of uh, Shanghai, but um, like it seems very unlikely to me that he meant that like Chinese demand order rate is higher than total Shanghai production rate. Like that's not going to be the case because uh, so much of it is, is being exported. So, um, you know, is it the case that we're going to see a huge influx in deliveries in March in China that, that I guess that could be the case. Um, we'll wait and see on, on that data. Um, but what I suspect is probably true is they're kind of saying, okay, some allocation, maybe two thirds or three fourths of production from Shanghai is allocated to uh, Europe. And so then like the remainder, uh, we have an order rate within China to support the remainder of that of that production capacity. That's kind of what I think he meant, but I sure wish he would have elaborated on that a little bit more. Are the cars that are being shipped from Shanghai to Europe uh, that are being exported, are those higher margin than the ones that would have been sold in China? Yes. Yep. Um, how much a lot uh so we don't know it's it, it's um always a bit of a guessing game but there was a comment i think it was a little over a year ago from martin vieca to i want to say it was jp morgan um but he said that their single highest product was model wise made in shanghai and exported to europe which is which is kind of uh, surprising when you think about it you would have assumed it's like the model x plaid or something like that um maybe back then that wasn't offered but um like like they're they're drastically better i was trying to hone in on this uh myself but like the 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 vehicles in china are so much cheaper than in europe so if you assume that they're they cost about the same to make i mean the european ones probably have slightly higher trim you got some higher shipping costs obviously um but they're just selling for so much more than they are in the chinese market that i think that the margins there are like phenomenal i i I think when i was when when I was estimating this, and and my numbers are wrong because I was just trying to like back into it, but you know trying to put all the pieces together, I was coming up with like uh, gross margins for those for the ones going to Europe in like the high thirty percent range, and the like Chinese domestic ones in the you know teens range or something like that. Um, Troy Teslake has a good spreadsheet where he goes into this too, so you could kind of check his figures and see what he's he's coming up with. Um, but that was. You know he, his numbers are wrong too it's just you know in which way and you know which models got it so then it sounds like like i i'm with you so like conceptually like in my gut the way i think about demand for tesla is if if there was a demand issue like if there really was a demand issue the way i conceptualize the demand issue is if you lower prices and your net sales do not go up they stay flat or go down if that happens then you have a demand issue if you're prices go down but then your your tam goes up and you're able to increase prices even if the margins might be lower if you're if you are flooding the market and taking market share away from everybody else to me that's not a demand issue to me that's adjusting your pricing to better fit your customer base now like the technical definition of demand probably it's strictly based on supply and demand right where they say if you have to lower prices to get more people you have a demand issue you're not you can't get everybody you can at that price sure but i think on the the long the long term framing of tesla is 
that they, from the very beginning, they've tried to be a mass market manufacturer. And the fact that they have market leading margins and they will remain as market leading margins for the for this year and into the future and increasing uh, margins with full self-driving and manufacturing uh, expertise and all this stuff, then to me, that's not really, I don't know, but it's not really a demand issue. But I, I, I think the visibility, the lack of visibility into the Chinese market for me is tough to, I rely on people like Choi, I rely on people like you and others to really get my understanding around what's going on there. So maybe March... So, okay, so let me ask you this. If March doesn't come in as a blowout month for China uh, domestic, do you think that there's a legitimate problem? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's been a legitimate problem for the last, you know, six months or so. Um, okay. You know, the, I, I hope that Tom, Tom Zhu is, is right. And, the, you know, they're just it's a timing of deliveries issue. And, and we're going to see this this huge increase in March. But, you know, if we don't, then the question like where are all these, you know, Shanghai produced vehicles going to go? Because if you assume that they'll all just like more and more will get diverted to Europe, well, then like you got to cut prices in Europe you know, presumably, right? Because if you're, yeah. it's like a simple, you know, supply and demand curve. If you just increase the quantity in a specific market, um, demand doesn't just rise to meet the quantity, you know, so you've got to lower the price to uh, to match supply and demand. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it is a legitimate question in, in my mind. I'm, I'm certainly hopeful that the, you know, March data will, will look stronger, but, um, you know, looking at what I've seen from, uh, not only just like the weekly data, but like the Chinese macro situation is is seems to be looking worse and worse. The you know the more time goes by, so um, and and on top of that, it's just like freaking the most competitive electric vehicle market out there. Um, you know the the offerings are so much like more competitive than than what we uh, like. If you want to buy an EV in the U.S., it's like pretty much like your only choice, unless you're just like some weird hipster who wants a Rivian to go camping. Like, hey, <laughs> uh, those, Sue, Sue Monroe I, has a Rivian. How dare you? <laughs> I know. I, I got to drive her, her, uh, her Rivian. She's phenomenal. Um, <laughs> Shout but, out to um, but like, like you're paying a premium for a product, you know, relative to the performance of, of a Tesla. So like, yeah. you know, if you, if you are like that niche that wants that product, of course, but in China, there's so many like more mainstream options and cheaper options. Um, you know, whereas like Tesla, it's like, if you do your homework in the U S and you want an EV, like Tesla is like the, the obvious choice. That's just not the Got case in, in China. I don't think. Okay. And, and I just want to make sure we're, I'm going to make this point clear. What we're, what Matt and I are doing right now, we're not trying to, and again, not saying anybody's saying this, but if you're watching this and you might be concerned that we're sort of talking about things that could, you know, are, are bad and just like trying to like potentially spread FUD or anything. This is uh, just, I believe it's a very healthy exercise to try and see where the whole holes are in the story, because there's been so many uh, positive news for Tesla. And obviously I'm somebody, if you follow me on Twitter, on this channel, I'm very, very much, very optimistic about Tesla's future. But I think, I think this is probably a very helpful exercise for investors to listen to, because what you're, what we want to do is completely test the thesis of the story and see where the potential uh, shortfalls could be. So, and I appreciate having somebody like you as a counterpart to to really make that happen. So, thank you for being a yeah. No, like, that. <laughs> like we're we're both huge Tesla bulls, um, but I always try to be as realistic as possible. Like, I'm always shooting for middle of the road in any of my you know earnings estimates or, or anything like that. I don't want to be biased either on the high side or the low side. So, what we're talking about right now is is mostly on the short term, but I do think that you know. If we have short-term demand issues right now, 
um, I think that informs the long term because if if the goal is you know 20 million units by 2030, and you're having a hard time selling uh, you know 1.8 million this year, um, then I think your assumptions on how many Model Threes and Model Ys you're going to be selling in you know seven years from now, like you might need to revisit that assumption. So you know I yeah. I, I do think that there's um, there, there's reasons to to take a critical look at some of this stuff even if you're a super optimistic bull with a price target way higher than the current stock price. Yeah. Let, let's do a fun exercise. Actually, this sort of discussion is... Toe is, touches. Uh... <laughs> no. Jumping jacks. Hey. Uh, <laughs> so let me make sure I get this. Faisal's Adventures on YouTube. So I, I made a post. Every so often, I, I, I ping for feedback. So I'm like, what can I do better? What can I do better? And this comment on this post was actually fascinating. Like the, what we're talking about is, is great. And I sort of, you're somebody that I can do this with, I think. So the, the feedback was asked some of the harder questions that test the bulls avoid. And there is six questions. Would you like to go through them? Does that sound yeah, like a fun thing? Yeah, yeah I like it. So, and thank you, Faisal, for this, for this pro, like, because this is actually very interesting. And then in the comments, let us know also what you think. Let's make this into a healthy discussion. First question, why is there no official or even optimistic target date on FSD anymore? Uh, I, I do think we kind of touched on this, uh, you know, 20 minutes ago or so. Yeah, it's, yeah, they've tried and it has not, like they've lost a lot of credibility with that metric, I, I think. And I think it's kind of as simple as that. They've got to, you know, put up or shut up now. Yeah. Uh, how many cars does Tesla need to produce if robo taxis become cheaper than vehicle ownership? That's a phenomenal question. How do you think about that? Oh, I actually did this math at one point. Um, I, I'm I'm not going to do the math right now because I'm too sleep deprived to to do it accurately. <laughs> um, but the, you know so. the, the whole the whole <laughs> idea is if you take the global fleet, yeah, you know, right, I'll I'll try I'll botch my way through it. How about that? Okay, perfect. Take the the global fleet of I don't know the exact number, but let's just say it's 1.5 billion units, and you mm -hmm. assume that each car is uh, just to make the math easier. Let's say three times more efficient uh, or, or more utilized. So then that, that means you only need a total fleet of self-driving cars. That's 500 million units rather than 1.5. And so then you just say, okay, how long will those last? And so if, if they're being driven more, so they'll turn over maybe every five years instead of every 10 years. So then your, your 500 million units divided by um, five years average life, um, that means that you'd be selling 100 million units globally a year. So, and so then maybe Tesla has 20% market share um, that gets you to, to 20 million units. So that's like maybe a way to, to back test it. And I think I did that math right, which is a miracle. Wow. <laughs> finally, finally did something right. No. Uh, so I, the way I think about it conceptually, I think there's going to be. So this is a question of when will this happen? And then what is going to be the cost of per mile of that unit? And the, the way I think about that is, okay, so the first question, uh, for, for robo-taxis to be first introduced, part of me still says sometime in the next 12 months-ish with some trials in, in some small cities, but like very, very like small trials, maybe Vegas, uh, Miami, Austin, something, just you know, San Francisco, pick three or four small jurisdictions to sort of do some tests. But then for it to be, for it to permeate the planet and for every single person to have access for this thing is going to take a long time. So yeah. 10 to 20 years. For so sure. this is a question about 10 to 20 years. So 
by that point, Tesla's manufacturing capability, conceptually, as I'm as I'm as I'm thinking about it, is going to be optimized to drive those whatever that market is as much as humanly possible. So the entire supply chain and everything and the manufacturing capacity is going to be built around that. So what we think of a, as a car today is not going to be a car in the next 10 to 20 years. So the question changes. But even within that, if the robotaxi, based on the assumptions of, will be super safe, way safer than a human, so the cost associated to running a car from an insurance perspective or whatever go dramatically down, you have basically no maintenance on something that has no moving parts. So relative to a, so say a car that somebody has to drive plus drives on gas is going to be significantly cheaper. And then you have the cost of manufacturing, which is going to be maybe an order of magnitude less than say like your typical car that you would drive around today over time, 10 to 20 years, which means that the cost per mile basically more than half. So it could be as much as 80, 90% cheaper. So the, the, the amount of people that have access to it becomes dramatically larger. And then you also have a mechanism of the rest of the world is going to be able to afford these things over time as more and more countries become developed, they have infrastructure, and Tesla becomes more and more available across, across the planet. So um, that's how I think about it. And by the time we're there, if Tesla has the data advantage and Tesla has the hardware advantage, the Tesla is the player. <laughs> and so it's just yeah. a question of what's the multiple in that business at that time. Um, yeah. No, yeah. So I, I think that's right. I mean, um, like it, it just for like one flaw in my analysis that I did is it assumes that there's no change in like total miles driven by the global population, mm -hmm. which if the, the cost is, is coming down by, you know, 80 to 90%, then like price elasticity would show you that there's going to be an increase in demand. Right. So, so you'll right. need more vehicles um, and, and more miles traveled. And, you know, Dave Lee even talks about like a, a land-based cruise business, you know, where you like just show up in a different national park, like, you know, every day, like you wake up and you're somewhere else. Like to me, to me, there's going to be all sorts of unique use cases that we can't even think of right now that will increase demand, uh, you know, for miles driven, which will, you know, uh, directly lead to, to more Teslas being sold. But I agree with you, like Tesla's got the advantage. Nobody can compete with them on cost, on like data quality and on just like first mover advantage. Um, and all those things are going to persist in the next five or 10 years. So you're like, I don't know, it wouldn't surprise me if they sell 30 million units a year for a while. Um, huh. But it's it's going to be, I'm, I'm just like so fascinated to see how this story pans out. I'm like, <laughs> like I, I really just am, very excited to see it. It's fascinating, right? And you also think about, and I'm sorry for spending more time on this question. We'll get to, to the next ones. But you think about the human nature is very nomadic, right? You think about like how how long humans have been around. And the reason why we've been tied down is because of the ag agricultural revolution. It's just, it's way more beneficial if we're in one place. But if the cost of transportation plus all our all the things that would make us happy on a daily basis, security, food, water, family, all this stuff. If you can do this on the go, with like literally you have these things that just move around, if the cost of transportation is so negligible, then anything is possible. <laughs> yeah. So I, like I envision this world of instead of people being a lot more static in their location, it's way more dynamic because you because it costs almost nothing to move around. And if and humans have always moved like for the history of our species. So I don't know. And this this is going to be dovetailing with a huge disruption in the energy industry as well, with like solar exactly. in particular, really driving down the cost of energy. And so like 
we didn't even talk about how much cheaper energy is going to be 10 years from now versus, you know, right now. And it's yeah. so like we're comparing cost per gasoline mile today with cost of solar generated mile 10 years from now, it's, it's going to be so much cheaper. Um, yeah. you know, like even Tesla Q is going to be able to afford to get out of their basement and go on a little trip somewhere <laughs> with their mom. It's going to be great. Exactly. It's going to be great. And that's why when I hear again, all respect to Tesla Q, uh, I guess, when I hear the yes. art, <laughs> when they when they say things like "Hey," like when they make the argument of legacy and competition, the my framing is so different for this Tesla story. And of course, they're free free to call it crazy and pie in the sky and insane. But it's just it just seems that like that's the obvious outcome from this thing from where I stand. But that's my my outcome. I could be completely loony crazy. So anyway. Um, next one. Will people ever pay $15,000 for FSD if hailing a robotaxi is cheaper? Uh, yeah, the robotaxi operator will. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's my view. You know, it doesn't matter how you slice this. Like you can, if the, if this vehicle really can go a million miles, like, you know, they're, they're talking about it being capable of doing, um, then you amortize the 15 or even raise the price to $50,000 over a million miles. Um, you know, and it's a very small impact. So um, the, the the whole key is you've got to be able to like slice this from the perspective of Tesla, Tesla from the perspective of the fleet operator, Tesla, and <laughs> from the from the perspective of of uh, the end customer who's hailing the robo taxi. And as long as like you're doing the analysis in a way where each of those segments is making a reasonable like return, where like the the fleet operators you know, return on invested capital, you know, is, is not like negative or like 2% and they can earn like a healthy living doing this. And they're all able to offer a product, you know, significantly cheaper than, you know, 55 cents a mile, which is the average for a gas engine car. Um, then like everybody's happy and, and it kind of makes sense that that, that market can grow. Yeah. It, in my head, I, I think the $15,000 uh, FSD option, what or whatever that is in the future, once it's feature complete, it's going to be a, a very small percentage of the pie. It's going to be the monthly revenue that Tesla is going to be able to generate through the service. Be it, you know, me, like I, I, when I get my cyber truck, I don't really think I'm going to add FSD. I think I bought it with FSD, but if say that I have to pay extra, I'm like, I don't know. I might just do the monthly, just a hundred bucks a month, 200 bucks a month, unless, unless I want to rent it out for other people to use, then I'll buy it at 15,000. If that's the pricing model. Right. So it just turns, I think it just depends how Tesla is going to execute that. Um, yeah. yeah. Mr. Mr. Green, the, um, the, the Dutch EV leasing company has some really great data on this. And I've been talking to them about, you know, some of the trends that they're seeing because they have to buy FSD right now, but they're trying to upcharge their, their lease customers for the functionality. And so they've, they've done a lot of this really good, like pricing, uh, of, of like, what's the, what's the monthly price. And they've done one version. I think it's, I might botch this cause it's been a couple months since I've looked at it, but something like 49 euros a month right now. Um, but they have the right to charge you more in the future. If you, uh, like when Tesla introduces more features in Europe. And then I think the other option is like 150 euros a month, but that's just like a flat, uh, rate that you Locked lock in. in for the for the term of the lease, and so they they've done these two pricing options, and they've got I, I believe it's like a thirty five percent take rate across their fleet in Europe, where um, the functionality sucks. So like to me, wow, this is this is like the future. Tesla 
Tesla, I think, is very intentionally not pushing this. They're, they're doing the Model Y soft sell on FSD right now because they want to just get it right. And then once they get it right, they can play all these games of like trying to, you know, like offer the low, low rate, offer the like a higher locked in monthly lease uh, or sell it up front. It, but like they're not even going down this path yet. And that's why so many financial analysts are, like are just dismissing FSD. But eventually they'll figure it out and they'll play these pricing games. They'll give everyone like a three month trial. And the take rate is going to be at least 33%, I think, based on that data that Mr. Green has. Wow, that's actually fascinating. And and I, I think, wow, okay. Wow. And people drive, generally drive a lot more in the US and the driving is quite boring compared to Europe. So you would think the take rate here would be higher. But it then becomes a trust thing. Okay, I'm I'm gonna have to track that. Thank you so much for exposing that to us. I love I those did, guys. They, no they, they're such a fascinating company. Um, Mr. Green just in Europe. Mr. Green. Yep. Okay. Any uh, any uh, relationship to Mr. Green, the the the, the, the cleaner the, thing, the, the ball guy. Sir? Wait, what? No, who, who am I thinking? It, Mr. Clean. I'm thinking of Mr. Clean. Wah, you know wah, what I'm talking wah, about? Wah, wah, <laughs> yeah. All right, next question. When will we see <laughs> when will we see more power dense form of 4680 cell? Uh, how do you think about that question? Yeah, so this is something that I don't spend a whole lot of brain power, you know, looking at. I, I watch, you know, Jordan Gieske's videos and um I, it seems like the sort of thing that they're all like constantly working on. Um I was at like Monroe and Associates and um they took down that car that that model y that was built in texas a couple months ago and like from the version of the initial 4680 can that jordan had they had already significantly increased the energy density from the one that they tore down just a couple months later um out, out of the texas plant so you know I, I think they're always working on it i'm not a technical expert with that kind of stuff but uh, to me it's just one of those i'm expecting continued improvements over time and that's really all the, the brain power i devote to it yeah, I think I'm like you. Know, I just rely on Jordan to give us feedback there. So, uh, yeah, if you're watching this, Jordan, let us know when uh, you we ex you expect to see a more power dense form of 4680 cells. Um, yeah, next one, and then one more. How can we? How can Tesla avoid Osborning Model Three and Y when Tesla Compact gets unveiled? And that's like the million dollar question. That's the twenty million dollar question. How do you think about that? Oh, Matt, it's frozen in time. Did you hear me? Yeah, okay, I heard you. The, the audio is still going. Um, yeah, I don't know. My camera's all fuzzy. Oh, too. my God. I, I got to stare, right stare at your face in one position. Jeez. It would be a worse day. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> um, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's a great question. I, I think yeah. there's a real chance that, like, that's just such a more compelling vehicle that, you know, maybe they have to shut down um, like Fremont Model 3 and maybe even Model Y assembly. Um, that wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing in the world, in my mind. Um, you know, it, and all cars kind of go through life cycles. Like Tesla's not selling the original Roadster anymore. That's fine. Um, and, and I think eventually Model 3 probably will see a decrease in sales. And that's something that I think a lot of Tesla bulls don't um, model. Um, but it, it might make sense that, you know, they just... Maybe they build the roadsters in Fremont and like some other, um, you know, smaller vehicle that needs a little bit more, I don't know, kind of handcrafting approach or something like that. Um, I, to me, it doesn't matter too much if, if they have to like retool Fremont in, in some way. But um, I think Model 3 being Osborne, it's I don't I don't know how you avoid that, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't unless you just redesign it to to be like a 
they can build it for say 25,000. Maybe it's like 5,000 more expensive than whatever this gen three platform is, but it uses all the same technology to get like decent margins. And it's just priced a little bit higher and it's a little bit bigger. And so you get, you can like segment the market that way. Maybe they do that. Yeah. I I've been pondering this question a lot. I think the big thing they have to do to make sure is that they have to get, they have to announce the car as close to production as humanly possible. And that ramp better be fast, man. Like there better be, you better minimize how much time people have to wait to get that compact car and do not market it at all. Do not just, just pretend it doesn't even exist <laughs> and just let it just flood the market on its own. I think the Highland project, the rumored Highland project for model three is an attempt to create more uh, separation between the three, the Y and the compact car more importantly, because right now, even the model three and the model Y, especially in the US, I would argue, um, I would pick a model Y a hundred percent of the time. Because yeah. we don't have kids, but the SUV is just more utility. You got more space, a little bit more comfortable. The back seat is very extremely usable and very comfortable. You get more room up front in the front, and, uh, and it has very similar driving dynamics. So the Model Three is more a uh, either a much more affordable way of operating a Model Y, or something that has better performance on the track or on the road, like something that's closer to the ground and, and turns quicker, has faster acceleration. So the when, once the compact car comes in, it removes you know it removes the the the, the affordability aspect of the Model Three because now you have something coming in that's really going to eat into the Model Three for people that are bought bought the Model Three to have a ch the cheapest possible EV on the road, which is I think uh, a lot of the times why people buy uh, a Model Three at the best I, at least the best bang for your buck when it comes to value of the cheapest form of uh, transport. And so really, to me, it just ends up being something that's very affordable performance. It's like the new Ford, uh, the new Golf GTI or the new Subaru Impreza WRX STI. That's how I think about the Model 3 uh, in this compact world. It has to be just incredible performance for super good value that's going to kick major ass. And it's it's going to do that. Otherwise, I, I agree. I just don't see I don't see how it slots between the Y and the compact. So. Who knows? It's going to be interesting to see what, what Tesla does with the three. It's going to be fascinating to see. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought Franz's comments were really fascinating too when he was talking about how, you know, like they didn't design it to be built by robots. And so then they tried to like build a factory with a bunch of robots and like, well, it doesn't really work that way. So I, to, to me, it just seems like they learned a lot of lessons when they were designing that. And those lessons are going to be like, all right, well, for the next version, it's going to be way better than the Model 3. So it's... yeah. Like, I don't think you, you've got to not be afraid of, of, you know, like, like Osborning a product. If you've got better margins and a bigger TAM in a different one, like if that's, that's probably just your highest NPV option to, um, you, you know, to just to focus on the new one and just, you know, kill the old product. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. All right. Let's do the last uh, challenging question here. And then we'll get into investor day. What is the future of model S and X? Yeah, I I mean, I, I don't think anything changes with them. You know, I think they're going to stick around. Like, <laughs> I, I've got a Model Y and I just like, I long for a Model X. I think it's such a cool car. Um, you know, the Model S Plaid is so, if you want like the bigger, you know, uh, sedan kind of form factor, um, that's like the right car for you. So right. um, to me, I, I like, I think they'll continue to kind of tweaking them and, and like upgrading the, you know, uh, the, the, uh, production lines every once in a while, but I, I kind of just assume that they'll stay relatively steady at like a hundred thousand units a year. And, um, yeah, 
that's that's all I'm assuming. So what's interesting is if you look at the uh, the one slide on Investor Day, and we'll and we'll use this uh, segue actually to go to Investor Day. So if you can pull up producer wife the Investor Day slides and go to page. Sorry, this is a very big deck. Um, I'm not going to make the joke. Let's see. Uh, 13, uh, page 13. And then let's look at the uh, breakdown of segments for the vehicles. And apologies for my dogs. They're very excited about Investor Day as well. They really like this slide. Uh, page 13, there is a breakdown of the types of cars that uh, Tesla is expecting the segments in a fully global electric fleet. And so 40 million is what I guess what they're calling luxury. 380 million is what I would call premium. 20 million is commercial. 300 million, I would call high capacity. And then 700 million is compact, right? Some sort of a very affordable thing. And so this will be the total fleet. And this adds up to about 1.4, 1.5 million units on the fleet. 40 million luxury is roughly, uh, two point something percent of the total fleet. And it if you if you take the 20 million unit per year goal that Tesla has for 2030 and you apply the same percentage proportional to this thing, it comes out to be 250,000 units per year. Actually, excuse me, 500,000 units per year um, of luxury cars from Tesla specifically, I think. Let me just confirm that math uh, real quick. Investor day. Uh, yeah, so so Tesla's saying if if this proportion is the same based on their 20 million per year, they would expect if the again if it's the same about 500,000 units per year of SNX long term uh, when they're running at 20 million per year. That seems really high. So how do how do you think about that? I'm not sure I followed your math there to be honest with you. Sorry. What, what's the? So if you add up this entire global fleet, yeah, is 1.4. Billion, billion cars yeah 40 million that's the luxury is roughly 2.7 percent of the total fleet okay and 2.7 percent so exactly so yeah. you're saying 2.7 percent of the 20 million gets to was it 400 exactly yeah close to 500,000 exactly yeah oh okay yeah i mean per year I, I guess that makes sense um but you know like they'll have the roadster too um you know like that's that'll obviously be, be smaller version, but, um, and I, yeah, I don't know the, the interesting thing Elon commented, like how many vehicles do you think you need to get to, to 10 million or to 20 million a year? He said, Oh, I don't know, maybe 10. And so if you look at this, you've got, uh, eight vehicles here, including the two under production, uh, roadsters not included. So with roadster, that's nine. Uh, so there's only one more vehicle that would maybe be missing to get to Elon's number. So yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that math might break down if the SNX don't um, or like are the only options because I like I don't I'd, I'd be very surprised if you know the SNX are selling five hundred thousand or anything close to that you know five years from now. Yeah, I would I would be curious. Yeah, I would be curious if the luxury market is completely redefined under this sort of assumption, like SNX. Like, what does it mean when a car can drive you around? Like, do you, what's the point of a luxury car at that point? You know, like what's, it's, it's strange. It's a very strange thing to think through. Um, 
Well, yeah. I think I think like devil's advocate on that a little bit. The like having the ventilated seats and having like the screens built in in the back, like they are on the like the newer SNX. Like that is that's like a nice luxury that I like, think even if you're just using like a Tesla network robo taxi, you'd probably pay a premium to get you know that one. You know where like everyone mm -hmm. can watch a different Netflix show and like be super antisocial in their own little bubble. Like that, you'd pay mm -hmm. a little bit more for that. Okay. Yeah, but but then what I'm thinking through is like with the with the smartphone, the smartphone was a very luxurious product back in the day, but now literally everybody has access to this incredibly luxurious thing. So is transportation going to be the same thing, where it's just everybody just transports each other? Maybe maybe the quality of the ride or the quality of the seat is going to be super important, and what you yeah. touch and see. But I'm wondering if it's 40 million cars. I don't know. It's it's fascinating. It's fascinating to think through. Um, okay. Investor day. What are, what, what were your takeaways? How are you thinking about investor day? What was your head at with that? Yeah, it, it was interesting. I mean, there was just from a long-term perspective, I, I think you couldn't have asked for a, a better event. I mean, they laid out in tremendous detail, like their plans to just continue to ruthlessly cut costs out of the organization. Um, you know, focus on increasing scale. I mean, the, the thing that really stuck out to me was uh, how many times they gave examples of ways that they can improve the product while cutting costs like that is that like that's not supposed to happen and so the fact that they just have that so ingrained in their dna um is is super exciting so you know just extrapolating out you know five ten years from now when like giga mexico will be fully up and running we'll have a lot more detail on this gen 3 platform um you know if they're selling this thing at 20 something thousand dollars and then within the us at least there's gonna be a tax credit on top of that um there's just huge potential for for margins to be you know nuts um so like just like at a high level long term super excited um i i did think it was in like the nearer term you know things that i was expecting you know no real uh, detailed conversation about hardware for I was you know slightly disappointed in that and then the demand like they just said demand is not an issue um infinite Matt infinite, infinite demand yeah so it just it seemed like you know the the legitimate concerns that analysts are asking about right now they're just they just kind of poo-pooed um and so I was I was a little bit disappointed because if there really is no demand issue it should be very simple for them to lay that to bed and just say hey listen like have a chart of like, you know, year to date orders versus, you know, like production capacity or something like that. And if it's like two times higher, then be like, okay, great. Nobody's got anything to worry about. They've got the data if there really is no issue. So the fact that they know that that's a real concern on people's mind and they like, they, they kind of poo-pooed it in a very subjective way. And while, while with other topics that were incredibly objective with here's our exact cost improvements, uh, you know, like material reduction. So um, that that was slightly disappointing to me that, you know, they just tried to wish that problem away. Have you tried to role play why they would take that approach? Like, why um, would they do that? Why would they be so subjective about it? Because I agree with you. Like, it's it is I tend to believe them. And I tend to agree that if you really talk to people that own a Tesla, you know, I try not to take everything Tesla says at face value. And I and I try to explore the market. Yeah, I, I agree that if if you offer the best value for your buck for a transportation system that you've shot into space and you use rockets to bring it back and everybody in the world saw this incredible feat that that's going to sell itself. I got it. I got that. But 
by why yeah your point of why subjective with this but objective with everything else why do you think they would do that yeah i mean i i think the the most likely answer to me is that you know it's not a slam dunk story on the demand side you know i i think um, I mean, the, the plan from the beginning has been to lower prices so that you can sell more vehicles. Like that was the original master plan. Um, and that's what they've been executing, you know, across for the, you know, since the company was founded. So it's not entirely inconsistent to say like, we're going full steam and, you know, there is no demand problem because we're going to continue to lower costs. Um, but that's very different than saying we have enough demand at our current pricing, uh, which they did not say, you know. Um, so I, I think the, that that's my best guess is, you know, that Elon said, uh, on, was it on the, the Q4 call in, in late January that, um, you know, they had, was it twice, did he say it was twice as much orders as demand? I think yeah. was, at that time. So you can imagine if that, if that persists as production, sorry. Yeah. Uh, if that persisted, like, I think they would say something, but it like, you've seen like with the Super Bowl chart that they showed in the past and like anytime you've got like some big news, there's an initial spike and then things wane. And so where's that equilibrium? So it seems most likely to me that that equilibrium has fallen to a level that's like very close to, to their uh, production capacity, um, maybe slightly higher, maybe slightly lower than it. Uh, but they've got, you know, some work to do if they're going to continue to increase production, they're going to have to keep lowering costs. So, you know, my, my best guess is, you know, they know that they've got to lower prices. And so the whole focus is on lowering costs in order to, to kind of sustain that. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm going to pull up a chart. Producer wife, I just linked something in the in the private chat. I just did a very simple search of Tesla. I went to Google Trends and I typed Tesla as a search term. And I'm tracking the search interest for the last 12 months. And this is what it looks like. So there was a spike. What is that? Like beginning of the year, I guess. If you hover over that spike there in the towards the latter half of the uh, thing on the right. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, they're right there. What's the date there? So yeah, so towards the end of the year, around the time that they had the price decrease in the EV tax credit, looks like there was a surge. And then it kind of started tailing off. And then we've had a spike recently as well. Uh, so it seems like, I don't know. Yeah, this is just a stupid data point. I'm just trying to piece together the the, the data points here. Yeah, I agree. It's, I feel like the, I feel like they have something. Like what's there's got to be a data point out there that we're missing that there's they've been so just so dismissive of it constantly. And again, like I tend to believe them. Like I get it. Like there's no yeah. there is no demand issue. I get it. But but like it would be so great if they just have the the, the thing that says, here you go. Here's a number. That, what else do you need? And I'm curious if anybody listening to this, if you all think you have it, that's like it come completely inconclusive. Global demand would be great to see. But it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I I really hope that um, like they've got the goods that the demand really is you know strong enough to you know that like we're going to see this huge increase in March and you know there really is no no issue. Um, but to me, I would guess that that's not the case. So we'll we'll just wait okay. and see. And if Matt is wrong, flame him on Twitter. Thank you all very much. You can follow him yeah. right here. He's got Lots a Twitter handle right there. Do <laughs> kind of say that like I spread FUD or whatever. And I'm like, no, I'm just like trying to explore like what like Your the truth. Better. I'm trying to get closer. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's it's um I think what my my favorite thing is when you and I get into our what to you and I is extremely obvious sarcastic battles on Twitter. And I yeah, have yeah, I, yeah. I've seen a very legitimate concern from people, like, oh my god, you're such a terrible person. Like, why would you treat him like that? 
And I'm like, because he yeah. deserves it. <laughs> so, you, yeah. You had, you had yeah. one tweet like a couple of weeks ago that we said something to the effect of like 50% of the company or the country doesn't exist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and like, like if that doesn't tip you off that somebody's being sarcastic or is just like an absolute moron, yeah. but like people are responding like, Oh, like you're being so rude. Like this is not like a, it was amazing. Like, See if you can find a producer wife and Elon, Elon replied to it too. That was, yeah, that was yeah, the one right. that, yeah. What I forget how it started. It was, Oh, it was something about like him catering more, a little bit more to the politicians on both sides. It was just fascinating how he was. I said that he was playing both games, like both sides. You know, what, what I really meant to say is like, hey, look, there's somebody actually acting like an actual centrist. He's like going between both and is like, and he's like, it's a surprise that I might be a centrist. And I said, it, it's impossible because 50% of America doesn't exist, alluding that 50% of America is centrist. And then people are like, you're such a terrible person. How can you say that? You're just a stupid, tw-. I don't know. Anyway, it was fun. <laughs> yeah it was, and like there were a lot of people too like because because yeah. i jumped on and i was, was like fun. oh you're absolutely right like we all know that centrist <laughs> is just a far right dog whistle like like yeah, just yeah. really going like far off into like no man's land and yeah, i was, was like great. oh my gosh these two people i'm really concerned yeah. about them like there's yeah. misinformation it was great it was yeah. great if you want if you want if you want a very low quality comedy let's uh just follow us on twitter and just watch us go back and forth it's the worst comedy you'll ever see uh, what else about Investor Day, Matt? That's uh, that got you excited? Questioned um, the twenty million per year at twenty thirty was reinforced multiple times. I thought, which was fascinating. I feel like we got a, a release of the uh, <laughs> producer wife in the private chat. I was telling to pull up that tweet. If you didn't tweet so much, I'd be able to find it. Fair enough. I agree with that statement. I really got to stop tweeting so much. Um, got a problem. I do have a problem. So those two things, how how do you think about those and anything else? The 20 million car per year, 2030. Yeah. So I, yeah, my, it definitely reinforced my confidence on, on the 20 million. Um, so I, I had previously like for modeling purposes, you know, I've got a, a very detailed, um, you know, earnings per share model goes out to 2030. Um, and, and I took a steep haircut. I think I was at 12 million units by, by 2030, just because things take longer. I think there's a very legitimate uh, raw materials concern, which, which again, was something I didn't like about the investor day. Elon kind of dismissed uh, lithium mining as a problem and focused only on uh, lithium extraction. I could take a whole tangent on that if we want to. But, um, you know, I think there's reasons to say that there's a, a high amount of execution risk for them uh, hitting 20 million by 2030. Um, but with everything they shared there, uh, I think that 20 million figure uh, gained a lot of credibility, at least in my mind. So I don't know, maybe I still wouldn't give them full credit, at least by 2030. Maybe they get there by 2032 or three or something like that. Um, but, you know, I, I, my confidence in them being able to deliver more than 12 million, which is what I was modeling, definitely went up. Yeah, I, I draw the parallel back to I think it was 2014 where Tesla laid out a plan to get to half a million cars per year by 2020. And I remember at that time, people were just to be like, it's impossible. That means they would have to have a KGAR of 50% year over year, which never has been done before in the auto market. And I feel like it's 2023, again, seven to eight years away from, from the target, seven to six years away. And we're getting a similar, similar level of ambition and actually wouldn't require 50% KGAR. It would require a little bit less to get to 20 million per year from where they are now. And it's sort of the same, starting to see some of that same narrative starting to surface. Like that's impossible. That implies uh, what 35% TAM uh, or for 35% of the TAM based on today's uh, auto, you know, uh, are how many autos get sold every year. And so 
uh, I agree with you. I think I think the level of data we got, not super, like we still have to see it play out, right? The the the, the execution is really what's at play here. But it's it's very reminiscent of that time where a very ambitious goal. People are like, oh my god, impossible, and then should you know, you know, surely they they reached it over time. So. Yeah, yeah, and like in, in my mind, like if you're a Tesla bull and investor, like you shouldn't really care that much whether they actually hit twenty million or like sixteen million by twenty thirty. Yeah, like because you're like the 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 um, stock's going to be like so much more valuable if they actually like hit this plan the way that they they laid it out on investor day. So um, yeah. I always try to keep that in mind that like to our timeline conversation earlier, the timeline itself is not as important as like the goal and the direction and the why and, and the how. So um, yeah, I just, yeah, very excited to watch this pan out. And Tesla has three major things that are very, uh, that, that gets heavily scrutinized with timeline. The 20 million car per year, full self-driving, and bot. Like those are three things that they constantly get scrutinized with the timeline. And it's, yeah, it's just so fascinating to watch that. The compact car, the Gen 3, which was, to me, it seemed like they unveiled a car without unveiling a car. How did you, how did you take all that information that came through? Yeah, they, I thought it was really smart what they did. Because in, in my mind, they unveiled the manufacturing process. Uh, without unveiling the car. So so if you don't want to Osborne your product lineup, but you want to tell your investors like, hey, buckle up, like we got some really amazing, you know, product in, in the in the pipeline here, um, like you would do what they did. So to, to me, it was um, a very clever way of, of like giving the goods and be like, hey, listen, we can still make a boatload of money at a $25,000 purchase price. And uh, so you don't need to worry. And that's how we're going to like really expand the TAM. I mean, to, to your point about the fleet, I think the, was it 700 million of the 1.5 was this like, like car under the, under the, uh, the veil. So, so they very clearly think that this is going to be like a very mass market car. Um, and the, the thing that I was kind of confused, like is Gen 3 RoboTaxi? Is it like, are there going to be other variants of it? And I think Zach said something to the effect of there's going to be a, a RoboTaxi variant of the Gen 3. And so yeah. I think it's important to keep in mind that this is going to be a platform. It's not going to be like a cheaper version of a Model 3 or something like that. It's going to be, it's it's a manufacturing process. It's a way of like designing a car. So they, there will be different variants of it. So it's not just going to be that there's, you know, 700 million of this one particular car driving around and like flooding the roads. Uh, which would be like a little bit dystopian probably if there was like one <laughs> car that was that ubiquitous. Um, so yeah, I, I, I absolutely loved, I was a little confused watching it. I was like, like, why, why don't they just unveil it? But you know, after sitting on it for a day, I was like, okay, that was actually really smart the way that they, they went about it. What were your, what were your thoughts or takeaways about the, the gen three? Yeah, to me, it was, it was a confirmation to me that, that the, that the compact car is a robo taxi is sort of put to bed where they are going to come out with a car that will have a steering wheel and pedals that is going to be the the goal for this car is to be the lowest cost of transportation possible per mile versus every competitor because when you think about how they benchmark the total cost of ownership of the model 3 and the and the compact this gen 3 car it was against the toyota corolla which is one of the most popular uh, low cost of ownership vehicles on planet Earth, especially in the developed world. It's, it's the standard for, I just want something point A to point B. That's all I want. I just, and it's like, buy Toyota Corolla, it never breaks. Literally everybody, everybody in the mom says that, right? So 
it's it's a direct competitor to that. And based on that graph, it looks like it was going to be somewhere between 30 to 40 percent cheaper uh, per mile to operate over five years in the Toyota Corolla. So that's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. And so that was my takeaway from that presentation is that if and if they do unveil, of course, I was very optimistic about them unveiling the car at Investor Day because in my head, I'm like, well, if they unveil it, then there's there could be a thing where the it could be so differentiated from the three and the Y that they'd be able to do that. And the production for for that uh, car is maybe closer than we think because of the different activities that are going on in Austin and Ber- in Shanghai. But obviously, that was too optimistic as per usual with me. <laughs> so that was another lesson learned. But the the Mexico plans being tied directly to this compact car is was a, was huge. Because it and Dave talked about this, Dave Lee, that it basically means that with Mexico breaking ground, it means that the compact car is officially in production. Where if you think about Cybertruck, when it entered production was not once uh, Austin was ramped, but once they put pencils down and they started putting machinery into the thing with Giga Mexico going live, you're having that as the starting point for compact car and Gen 3, which will be roughly based on the guidance we got from um, Tom and the Tesla team within 90 days of investor day, which is call it by the end of Q2, call it. So that's when compact car goes into production, essentially. It might take 18 to 24 months to come to fruition because you got to wait for the freaking factory to finish. But it's that's pretty exciting to think about, you know, but we don't know what it looks like. And Tesla's never done that before. Yeah. How, how crazy was it that on investor day, everybody was just like, oh, like we don't want to talk about plans for like timeline on you know, like the, the Gen 3 car or Mexico. Yeah. And then the next day, Tom Jew is just out there like, yeah, we're going to break down. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah, like, we're going to break the nine month record for Shanghai. Like, Go get wow. it. Wow. Yeah. I love it. It's fantastic. It was great. Yeah. It's fantastic. It, I think it really speaks to just how, how big of a badass he is. They have, a, they have an incredible talent in Tom. You know, and and you guys talked to somebody who worked with them directly, who spoke very, very highly of him. It just reminded me of of why Tesla was such an awesome place to work at is because people like him were freaking everywhere. It's like, damn, yeah. hell yeah, let's go. Like, I almost wanted to just fly down to Mexico. <laughs> like, I'll be right there with my hard hat. And I'm just waiting there for 90, 90 days. What's going on? Um, yeah. And, and so let me ask you this. Have, has your modeling, how are you modeling this compact car now? Like, has that changed any of your sort of how you're thinking about the company in the next three to five years. So I, I haven't gone back and, and updated my model yet. Um, so lazy. You know, my God. Well, the, the way, so like it, it definitely, I can tell you without having gone through the exercise, it will certainly raise my earnings estimates in say 2025 for sure and beyond. Um, the, what what is more of a question mark in my mind right now is like what are the company's financials going to look like starting in Q1 because with these huge price drops like everyone's kind of trying to do their best to figure out how much is gross margin going to be impacted uh what what is the overall earnings profile of the company look like um so before I do any kind of like major overhaul you know I want to get that data point and figure out okay what do we what is like the current base of of products look like look like from a profitability standpoint um and okay. frankly like this demand issue that we talked about like, do we need to lower demand estimates that I have in, in my model uh, if, if Model 3 and like the China and Europe thing is, is actually a problem? Or hopefully it's not. So um, I, I, I'm kind of waiting on those bigger pieces of information before I do a, an update to the longer term model. Gotcha. Okay. The, but it's and good then, news. Uh, 
It's yeah. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad. Uh, you good for like 15 minutes ish of Q and A? Uh, in starting yeah. in a minute or so. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I just when you're talking about that, I go back to we're talking about demand being more subjective than objective response. So Q1 call or Q4 call. Elon gave us that, those signals about demand being off the hook and it's not a problem. And, you know, they they set 1.8 deliveries, million deliveries in 23. And then he's like probably closer to 2 million. So he unsandbagged himself in the call. Why would you do that if you weren't confident about demand? Tom's saying verbiage around China. And then now we're talking about, you know, infinite demand. Like it's so It's so interesting. It's so interesting that we have all these uh, subjective data points from Tesla saying, dude, like y'all just relax. But it's ah, like that order book. <laughs> Show us the order yeah. book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like if they really had the goods, you'd think they they could share it. But you know, maybe they've got the goods and they just like trust yeah. us. Like we told you, we're not going to give you so much data that you learn to expect it and then overanalyze these short term movements. Um, yeah. So so to me, like it, it could just be as simple as that. But um, like yeah. I, I think, like we were saying earlier, I think these these demand issues are you know legitimate until Tesla kind of proves that they're not. Okay, Q one is going to be fascinating, man. Q one is going to be uh, probably the most anticipated earnings call that I can remember, maybe ever, to be honest, because of of that stuff what we just talked about. Plus, we might be in a recessionary recessionary backdrop as well that that's starting to come to fruition. I don't know. There's just so much. There's so much to talk about. Uh, tomorrow, though, you'll be sitting down with Emmett at Good Soil to discuss all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, we got our, our normal Tuesday live stream. So 1230 Eastern, 930 Pacific. You know, Emmett and I go on for an hour, uh, talk about macro, talk about uh, Tesla mostly. So yeah, we'll, we'll unpack that. Uh, I was just talking to him before I jumped on with you. And um, yeah, we were talking about this demand thing too. And, you know, Emmett was was kind of lamenting that they're not at least trying like the advertising lever. You know, if all the demand is generated with price cuts, the, there's potential that you're leaving some margin on the on the table. So, um, yeah, I, I do wish they would at least experiment with that so they had better data around, you know, does spending 50 million on advertising, you know, result in a million extra orders or something like that. Um, mm. To me, that would just be good information to have. And I'm, I'm a little bit bummed, and I know Emmett is, that they don't at least experiment with that. But, yeah, we'll, we'll talk through that and... Uh, our different uh, reactions to investor day tomorrow on on that channel. You want to hear my my uh, my thesis on that? I would what love I to. think is Tesla's sort of thought process here, and this is a very Elon thing, and sort of like talking to the culture. I think Elon from the very get go is dead set on ensuring that Tesla is by far the most loved product on planet Earth by creating as much loyalty to the brand as humanly possible, and. I think that they think that the best way to do this is by maximizing the chances that when you buy something, you love it regardless of why you bought it. And so if you advertise to me, it may be in their head is like, well, we don't want to sell people on false promises, quote unquote, or maybe we don't want to convince them in that way. And then that also means that we're not making the car as human, cheap as humanly possible, which would introduce even more loyal people at, at those pricing brackets that perhaps maybe could have been persuaded by advertising, but we instead sell it to them for a cheaper price. And they're like, holy crap, I can't believe I got this at this price. That's what I think is in their, in their, in their mentality when they do that. And yes, could they have made more margin? Absolutely. Absolutely. But in the near term, in the long term, yeah. it could mean a lifelong Tesla customer that will use a Tesla regardless of why they bought it. 
Um, so that I think I think that's their mentality. But yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And like the focus is so like extremely over the top on um, like cost cutting and manufacturing improvements. And if I had to choose between that and like being really slick on advertising, of course, I'm going to choose, you know, what Tesla's actually focusing on with like yeah. cutting costs. That's that's going to be the key to long term success, not like, you know, a slick advertising campaign. So I'm yeah. not, you know, too upset about it, but it just seems like, you know, on the edges, why wouldn't you at least explore if you can use your capital a little bit more efficiently? So um, mm-hmm. It's it's not a big deal, but it's it's one where I just feel like they're they're choosing suboptimal behavior because Elon is focused on you know driving down the the you know like you said like the the total cost and not selling people on false promises and um, but it's just so funny because he's always been so anti advertising then he goes and buys Twitter and is like trying to like make good <laughs> with all these advertisers. Fascinating. This is very true. That's very true. All right, let's do some Q and A. Uh, producer wife, bring up uh, the questions. Only the best ones, which will be all of them. Thank you so much, community. Love you guys so much. Mods, thank you so much for keeping the comment section amazing as usual. You guys are awesome. All right, let's uh, bring up the first question and let's see how many we can knock out. Uh, from Chuck Z fourteen, question: Do you know if Giga Nevada is continuing to produce Mega Pack while Lathrop is also ramping Mega Pack? Uh, Matt is the foremost expert on Tesla energy. By far, go ahead, Matt. Uh, thankfully, those battles are behind me. But um, yeah, the <laughs> uh, <to> bring it back. <laughs> um, I, I, so I don't know specifically, but to me, it would seem absolutely crazy uh, to not continue to make them. They've got this two-year backlog. Um, they, they actually raised the price on on Mega Pack by I think it was a hundred thousand uh, dollars over right. the weekend. So um, like there's clearly way more demand than they can fulfill, even, you know, with the, the huge capacity coming on at Lathrop. So, um, yeah, I, I, I would be completely shocked if Giga Nevada didn't continue to produce Mega Pack. Okay, next one. Ba-ba-da-da. And Stefan, Stefan, I always get his name wrong. I'm so sorry. Uh, question. Did you see today Morgan Stanley's statement? Ferrari replaces Tesla as top pick in auto sector. Morgan Stanley says should make you uh, laugh a little. Uh, okay. I mean, so is it is it from the perspective of what? Profitability or? Yeah. I don't know. But no, I didn't see it, if that's your question. <laughs> Did you see it? <laughs> no, I didn't see it either. I mean, you know, it's it's such a small volume player. Like, I think Ferrari is always going to have a spot. Like they they've got a unique you know kind of design and brand philosophy and it's beautiful. Like it's beautiful, yeah. Like the I don't, but Tesla's not really trying to fight them. So yeah, and yeah. to me it's like what analysts say is not a good signal <laughs> generally. I agree. I agree with that. I think generally speaking, what's helped me understand the Tesla story much more is viewing Tesla through the lens of a mass of a true mass market automaker that is trying its best to get to the masses to like the po- population of the world and i think that you know like like this sort of connection doesn't make any sense so uh yes i am laughing a little bit actually Stefan. so thank you very much for sending that comment let's do the next one Ba-ba-da-da. philip question is the budget segment harder to penetrate with regard to home charging being a core prerequisite because today, a lot of people have ICE cars without ability to charge at home. That's a really good question. How do you think about this one, Matt? Yeah, that is. Um, I mean, th- this whole um, home charging thing, it's such a paradigm shift for people. I mean, you know, I'm relatively tech savvy. Not You'd never guess it because, you know, I, I struggle with live streams. 
Um, You're very generous with yourself. <laughs> in my own eyes, I am on the bleeding edge. Um, no, but like, you know, it was the kind of thing where, you know, it was like, okay, how do I do this? Like, what, what rate do I have to do? Like, I had to go and like work with my utility and get an inspection and like, that's like cost thousands of dollars. Maybe it was like 2000. I don't remember the exact amount of like the whole, like buying it and installing it and getting the inspection. Um, and it's just kind of like a pain. Um, so if you're, you know, on the low end, I think this very reasonably could become a problem. So, but I I think there's ways around that. Like, I think Tesla can be, um, like roll a $2,000, you know, home setup credit into your, your purchase price or something like that. Um, so, but it's a, it's a great question. One I haven't really uh, thought hard of before, but, uh, I'd like, I think not only the behavior changing is a paradigm shift, but, uh, especially at this low budget point, like doing the home installs, like a real issue, I think. Yeah. I think the, the, there are still a lot of homes out there that don't have like a lot of garages without a Tesla in, especially in the developed world called the United States. Um, so I think this solution needs to be worked on in parallel with the compact car, being ramped so i would not be surprised if we get some news right around the time that the compact cars like gen 3 starts shipping to customers where they're trying to solve this head-on in some way either partnering with apartments or parking companies i don't know we'll figure it out but it's it's something that that will be solved it's just going to be something that they have to add to the list the the other thing i would say though is like don't sleep on the potential for just like doing those like straight 110 plug-in um for very true four years i had a chevy volt and i just like literally plugged it in with a regular outlet and you know it took probably eight hours to charge but i had that eight hours from when i rolled in and actually it was more than that because i would roll in at i don't know six o'clock at night and then it would still be charging or maybe it had just finished at like seven o'clock the next morning when i left for work um, but I could get enough charge just by the normal outlet, um, to, to handle everything that I needed. So you don't need the level two charger, I don't think. And that's something that I think, you know, you're going to, your anxiety level might be a little bit higher, like in certain situations, you might really want to have that fast charge, but, um, I it's, you can hundred percent, you know, survive by doing some combination of, um, you know, home charger and a 110 outlet and supercharging when you need it. That's a really good point. If if the 110 can get the compact car to say, I don't know, somewhere between 80 to 100 miles of charge overnight, I don't even know if that's possible. But if it can do that, I think the the equation changes dramatically because that would be nuts. That would be completely nuts. And if you need to top off, you go to a supercharger for like 10 minutes and you're done. You know, you go there like once a month or something or once, once yeah. every couple of weeks. Okay. Fascinating to think through. Uh, next question. Uh, Steven, Steven, can't even speak. Thank you so much for uh, supporting the channel. Go ahead, make your joke. Go ahead. I know you want to say something. You you couldn't handle the the Stefan from (laughs) France, and now you've got Steven, and you're like, oh, is it Steven? Come on, man. (laughs) I know. I'm falling apart. Thank you for supporting the channel. Uh, Stefan, a question, Steven. Farzad, what is your take on how Tesla bot will impact Tesla, uh, both internally and, and as a product for the world? Matt, I'll let you answer first and then I'll go because I'm such a good host. Go ahead. You are. I don't trust even you though the question right was now. to me, but I'm still going to let you answer first. Go ahead. I just think you're. I didn't guy. even know that you were Farzad. I thought I was talking to Yashu the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Yashu. Connect suck. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, 
like like this to me is such an absolute game changer like you know the the, the basic math that i've been doing is like if tesla solves robo taxis then the stock price is worth at least a thousand dollars per share i think not financial advice but that's just like the rough math that i'm doing at you know what what the implications would be um but i think the bot if it actually succeeds in the way that elon has talked about and like changing the actual face of like labor and what it means to have an economy is like way more impactful than even that so i like i'm completely throwing i haven't done modeling around this but my gut says it's like the sort of thing that could take it from thousand dollars a share to like you know ten thousand dollars or somewhere in that it may be even higher and because it just like it's this huge deflationary force on everything in the whole world and there's a economy of abundance and it just changes everything and so the company that makes them is just like stratospheric so i think it's like you can't model that out i don't think right now but it's just it has so much freaking potential that it's like completely game-changing technology yeah couldn't agree more i think the the fact that they had footage of the bot walking around at investor day went super under the radar but that is mm. a huge gigantic achievement that doesn't serve any value right now but the proof of concept has been proven i think and it's just a matter as long as they got it to walk with the same type of method that it would use to learn how to do everything else right so as long as long as that's that's the case uh, and if it proves out to be useful in, say, the next, I don't know, one to three years in some capacity, then I think it, we're going to have the same type of conversations around, well, Tesla can't can't be profitable EV. Well, Tesla can't get to 500,000 units per year. Well, Tesla is going to have a lot of competitors. Well, Tesla won't be able to have high profit margins, right? So it's going to be the same exact thing again, but with the bot. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But Tesla's track record speaks for itself, I believe. So, yeah. Knows. So, what one thing I I saw a lot of people say was that 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 um, uh, video of like the the Tesla bot was CGI. It wasn't. That, I didn't think so, but I saw like seven different people say that. Like, guys, it was CGI. It was like, listen, I don't people think, think people think Elon Musk is a lizard that is a fraudster, and everybody at Tesla is fake, and they still have parking lots full of cars, and they're not selling it to customers. So. Yeah, that's that's. The I, I, I only thought half those things. It wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if he is a lizard. <laughs> Shout out Elon, if you're watching this, which I'm sure he isn't. Next question, <laughs> and the off chance that he is. Um, oh my, can you can you pronounce that one? I'm so sorry. Fro fraud, fraud, fraud klepe. Perfect. I hope that wasn't offensive, <laughs> but because Matt's very offensive, I'm questioning. Question, <laughs> question. The van minibus will sell like a chopped dung in latin american countries do you think americans like them too um i'm assuming that's a good thing what the van chop minibus dung? Just, does chop dung sell well i, I don't even understand the I, question does that it's, mean it, it won't sell well i guess it, do, it won't do, sell well do you obviously. need the whole whole dung unchopped does that sell better <laughs> it's a strange question um i don't know i feel like i feel like a van minibus type deal if it's useful will sell extremely well in the United States because people love big cars. How do you think about this question? I think as long as it's yeah. useful, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it'd be, I think of this as like some variant of like a Ford Transit van or something like that, which has a lot of, you know, like like plumbers and electricians and, you know, local, um, you know, business owners use for, for their work. I would certainly use one to, um, like schlep around my gigantic family and uh, six kids. We don't fit in any Tesla right now, 
uh, all eight of us. So I think there's a small part of the market that would do that. And then, yeah, like, like I know, um, what is it in the Philippines? I think there's like all these little mini buses uh, that are used for like transportation for like a, as like a taxi. So I think there are all types of different use cases that um, some sort of platform like that would, would do really well. And now is it going to be, you know, 10 million units a year? Probably not, but you know, it's, it's, you, you do need to attack all these different market segments and, and that's one that Tesla doesn't have a foot in yet. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think for me is, as long as it provides value and it's useful, it will sell really well. And I think the inner world of robotaxi where you could have a van that drives itself, it basically becomes a self-driving RV, like a mini RV that could be customized to an individual's needs. That seems like a gigantic potential, especially like a place like Latin America that has such gorgeous, beautiful places to visit, uh, especially on, on you know, driving around. I've never uh, been, but... Uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many countless documentaries I watched about the different countries in South America. That, like, you just drive around, you're like, just it's, everything's gorgeous. I feel like that's a mar that's a completely un non-existent market that will be uh, completely opened up with a solution like this, in my opinion. So, yeah, I, I kind of think the Gen Three is the bigger opportunity for those markets. Um, you know, like the the lower price vehicle, um, where you, like if you have the total cost of ownership that's you know significantly cheaper than a, a you know Toyota Corolla. That's where I think that's going to be more impactful in, in Latin America, but um, it's, it helps to have all, all you know, products in the segments for sure. Fair enough. Okay. All right. Let's do one more and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll uh, sign off. Richard, do you ever see ice cars making a comeback? I, 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 I don't see in any why they would when the, when the economics of a EV is going to be way better. I mean, you you still have your, like super niche incredible works of art in your Ferraris and your Paganis and stuff. But I, I, I wouldn't call that a comeback. How do you think about that question? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, I just looked to, to my kids and we had like um, some car from the eighties probably drive down our street the other day. And my kids and I were taking a walk and it was one of those ones where it just like reeked, you know, like they all used to back in the you know 60s 70s 80s my kids were like oh my gosh what is that like you know they just couldn't believe how awful this this gas car smelled and i was like that's the way they all used to be and you know like that's what you know most cars still run on that but they just have catalytic converters and other you know technology to, to make it smell less and they're like oh like why would anyone drive one of those so you know i think looking at the future at least through my kids eyes they're like it just doesn't make sense um and like even in the high end, like, you know, like the, the Bugattis and, and that sort of thing, like when, when you've got the kind of horsepower capability that the most advanced motors right now, electric motors right now have and the energy density and the batteries um, and just look at like what's going to be possible with the Roadster 2.0. I think you're going to get to the point where you can't, you know, squeeze more performance even out of like the best like handcrafted design built by the like, geniuses um, internal combustion engine vehicle. Just because like the, you know, the, all the, the transmission and everything you need is like, you're adding all this weight and all this, you know, um, like cooling systems and everything that you need to eke a little bit more performance out of there. And I think eventually as, as they keep honing the designs of the, of the, the batteries and the motors and everything else, it's just going to become like, you can't compete even at the high end. So no, I don't, I don't really think there's, there's really any case that, um, where it won't make sense to be electric 
I mean, maybe the only one I can think maybe is like, um, gar- like garbage trucks or something like that, where you need to like have like go for a very long shift, like eight hours or something like that, while hauling an incredibly massive like weight. Like maybe you know diesel sticks around for you know use cases like that for a decent amount of time, or like cement mixers or something. But um, no, I don't think gas makes a comeback. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's end it there. Oh, uh, it's a good fertilizer, so sells well. Okay, oh, oh there you go. Norwegian idiom. Know. Got it. Perfect. Yeah. GI Joe. <laughs> Matt, thank you, man. What? Uh, where? Where can people find you tomorrow? Tell us all about it. Uh, yeah. So the Good Soil Investment YouTube channel. Uh, you can just find us on there. Uh, we live stream on Twitter Spaces at the same time, so you can follow me at Matt chasm matt whatever the heck that twitter handle is uh or at emmett peppers he's a lot easier to follow because he's got a you know regular sounding twitter handle so uh, we'll be live 12 30 eastern like i said we do this every week uh so yeah uh, happy to have you guys on there we do a little q a at the end too so um it's been good stuff thanks for thanks for chatting farzad of course, man. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time. Always great talking to you. I thank everybody tuning in today. Uh, we had a we had I think uh, 11, 1140 concurrent viewers at peak, which is awesome. These things keep getting bigger and, and bigger every week, and so uh, I can't believe y'all came to listen to this guy. Why? Who would ever yeah. want to come listen to this guy? <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I've got <laughs> nothing to say, and my voice is shot. And I'm all washed out because I can't get my camera figured out because I'm not <laughs> as tech savvy as I said I was. Well, we uh, we definitely value all the uh, all the uh, information you always bring forward in all seriousness. And you're one of my go-to places for information, especially related to Tesla. Everything else debatable, but Tesla for sure. So thank you, Matt. <laughs> Tesla <laughs> energy you. for sure. I feel like I got a stranglehold yeah. on Tesla energy. Yeah, definitely. So Monopoly. get some on more Tesla information. Energy. On Q1 call, maybe we we do a, another dive into that because that's yeah. that's going to be fascinating. I keep I, I'm really excited to see them really roll out the the Mega Pack products and like the home energy stuff too. I think it's going to be really big. Couldn't agree more. The yeah, let's Powerwall. That. that was the other thing we didn't talk about. The one of the hidden things was almost certainly oh, a yeah, yeah, version yeah, of yeah, the yeah. Powerwall. Um, so yeah. I think and that's a launching this year. So um, that that could be pretty compelling because I think. Like my wife and I keep talking about like getting a backup generator. And I'm like, no, let's just wait till the power wall gets better. And then we'll, we'll install one of those. So I, I think those idea. are going to become a lot more mass market too. Okay. Yeah. Can't wait to dig into that. Uh, we should definitely do a follow-up uh, on that after Q1 as well. So awesome, man. Thank you so much. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Thank you uh, everybody in the chat. Keep in the comments. Always super respectful. Thank you mods so much for your continued support and the awesome work y'all do in there. And then obviously last, but in the, let me try this again. Last but not least, producer wife. Thank you. Thank you, baby. Good job, as always. Great job. And uh, <laughs> thank you, everybody. Yeah, she just gives herself a round of applause. All right, everybody. That's we'll cool. see you around. Like Isn't that cool? <laughs> Take it easy, everybody. Bye-bye.